0: The Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.
1: This month, I am joined by Scott Sullivan. Scott is the Chief Integrity and Compliance Officer at Newmont Corporation. Scott is a longtime compliance pr- practitioner, having led a Fortune 500, $5 billion uh, corporation in their business integrity and compliance function. We take up uh, four episodes over the month of July. In episode one, we take a look at the empathetic CCO and what does empathy mean in the context of being a CCO. In episode two, fit for purpose and reading the tea leaves, in other words, staying in front of the wolf pack. In episode three, we consider what does a CCO want from his or her team? And in episode four, we consider what will the CCO of the future look like? What are the skills that will be needed and what are the tool kit that a CCO must have? It's a fascinating exploration of a longtime chief compliance officer. He's been in uh, our profession for uh, nearly uh, 14 or 15 years, so he's got lots of insights. I know you will enjoy this month's guest, Scott Sullivan, and I know you will learn a lot from him. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks so much for listening to This Month with Scott Sullivan on The Compliance Life. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, back again with Scott Sullivan, Chief Integrity Officer and Compliance Officer at Newmont Corporation. Scott, first of all, uh, welcome back.
0: Glad to be here.
1: Scott, in this episode of The Compliance Life, I wanted to visit with you about what does a CCO want or need from their team and then some of your key leadership lessons for a compliance team. But if I could start off uh, by talking about uh, the the skills not for a CCO, but for a team in the compliance function, what do you find most valuable? So Tom, I, I think
0: the team is a reflection of the compliance officer and the compliance officer is also a reflection of his or her team. So it is really important that those skills complement one another so or supplement one another. So having the ability to recognize and be vulnerable as a leader and say, hey, look, I'm not particularly good in this area, but I'm going to rely on you. I trust you. You've become a budding expert in this particular area or field is something great. So I know that I am not going to be a data analytics expert. So I've got to go find that individual. I know that uh, strong project management is essential. That's not one of my super strengths by any stretch of the imagination. So finding that individual on the team that can help drive and and complement the rest of the team. So you're kind of moving that great ship forward. It's, it's something that I'm a big believer in is building that team. And frankly, it's been one of the most uh, enjoyable things in my nearly 20-year career is building that team and and being a part of that.
1: How have you used a communications or marketing expert in your role as a CCO? So
0: like I said in one of the earlier episodes, if I had to create a team from scratch today, it would probably be project manager, comms and training person, and then the data analytics person. And that's more because I think the compliance function has evolved over time from a pure legal piece of how do you make things more user-friendly, more? The DOJ talked recently about accessibility of policy, procedure, training, utility of of those. And so a person that brings comms to the table can also bring a way to present data that just resonates with leaders. So I think at the end of the day, the board and the executive leadership team, if you've made it to the compliance officer level, assumes that... The basic skill sets are there, but being able to kind of the form over substance really, or the substance over form, depending on how you look at it, by presenting that data in a, in a fashion that captures the imagination, the attention is not something historically lawyers, I would say, even compliance professionals have been great at. So the visual presentation of complex data in a way that people can understand and use has become so much more important in this day and age, whether it's decision trees or making policies and procedures more user friendly or making tools more intuitive. The person that has that communication and training skill set, I think, can really enrich the program and increase the value of the program. From an effectiveness perspective of a true inside evaluation of effectiveness, not looking for an external one or a government effectiveness, but is this program really working for us?
1: Scott, one of the things that I don't think gets quite enough play in the discussion of the CCO role is leadership. And I don't mean leadership of the compliance function across the organization. I mean, you as a CCO are a leader of a team. And so I was wondering if I could uh, visit with you a little bit about leadership for leading a compliance team. And what do you see as the key skills that you've utilized to lead the teams you've led over the years?
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's got to be a two-way street. The leader has to be empathetic. As we mentioned in one of the earlier episodes, the leader has to be empowering. I mean, I view myself as there to empower the team to help them achieve our mission. And can I clear obstacles and roadblocks? Maybe I'm a a tiebreaker, a coach, uh, uh, somebody that guides you along the path. And I learn from my team probably more than they learn from me. So I kind of have generally, I would say, maybe four views on that. So I think people first, empowering them is probably the most important one. If you're going to do it all and try to take the glory, that's that's not going to make it for a successful program or a very happy team or ultimately a very happy leader. I think rolling up your sleeves and also not being afraid to dive in. You've got to demonstrate to your team that you're one of them. You're not above them. You're with them. And I, I try to do it in the trenches, elbow to elbow, shoulder to shoulder. What can I do to help out? Um, and the environment that compliance often operates in, is, is a high. there's a high degree of reactivity. There's also some increasingly more proactive stuff but it's chaotic. So managing that chaos. And if you're doing that just to survive and get by, that's a challenge. If you can switch that to managing the chaos to thrive. So how do you bring discipline and structure to the team where they feel that they're empowered and able to do great things for the organization? So figuring out how to manage that chaos beyond just the neutral survive and getting into that thrive mode. And the other one I think is, everything as we go into data analytics and data and monitoring compliance officers in general have a great gut and great instincts so i i want to be careful that we don't get away from relying on the gut or thinking through the gut and we just go into to data so the, the example i would probably use is When I first started doing anti-corruption audits, we would typically talk about a regular audit, which was done more with statistical sampling. And when you went into the anti-corruption audits, they were typically judgmental sampling. There's a big difference in approach and mindset and kind of using your brain to think about this just doesn't feel right. We need to dig into this a little bit more. So a compliance officer, I think many times if there's a compliance failure, Somewhere in that compliance officer's gut, they had a a gut feeling about it. They maybe didn't act on it because they were waiting for data or something, but they didn't hit the pause button or they didn't hit, we need to dig a little deeper in there. And so gut is something that a lot of people don't like because it's not necessarily measurable, but I think it's a, a critical component for a compliance officer.
1: Scott, how do you view the uh, perhaps some other stakeholders such as uh, third parties? If you have any key partners, key joint venture partners, key uh, supply chain vendors, or even key sales agents, are these people that you've had some sort of relationship with and try to work with them once again from the compliance perspective?
0: I think when we can be proactive, certainly in thinking more and more about how do you bring them on board to ensure that they understand what your values are, what your compliance program is like, try to convince them and get them to buy into that, not just do it for doing a thing. But hey, look, say if you have a joint venture partner, look, we're giving you the, the couple hundred thousand dollars worth of compliance program materials that if we're if it's not a self-contained joint venture, you're selling to other parties you can use this to market and leverage yourself globally overseas. So the world has gotten much smaller these days in terms of the expectations of compliance. It's not just an American thing anymore, a European thing. You're seeing lots of jurisdictions really push more and more on the compliance front. So it really can become, I'm, I'm, you you and I have had this conversation about a competitive edge. I think competitive advantage may be a a bit of a stretch in certain occasions, but certainly a compliance program can, can provide a competitive edge and because we all know that through vicarious liability, you can be on the hook for the actions, certain actions of third parties. And even if it's not legal liability, there are certainly reputational damage that can just be crushing to your brand or to your organization, to the reputation. So identifying those third parties that matter most, trying to, to bring them un, into the fold and under the hood and have them with a real understanding of what you're doing and trying to do it so that they will be early warning radar for you. If they face an issue, they'll come to you.
1: The uh, We're recording this as the economy is starting to come out of the uh, coronavirus health crisis. Some states are a little bit further along than others, but I want, wanted to ask you, are there any new additional or other skills you've had to utilize, leadership skills, uh, in this now working from home environment that we've been in the last couple of months or 10 weeks?
0: Yeah, so I, I think a little bit more more empathy, for sure. Uh, just a common theme. I think more understanding of, of the reality. I mean, I, I found myself working far more because you're sort of attached to your chair. So you, you, before you know it, you're up at 6 a.m. for a different time zone issue, and you look at your watch and it's almost 8 p.m. And you've basically gone for a bio break and, and maybe you grab a quick sandwich or something. So trying to make sure that that I I lead in my personal capacity, but also with a team to have some balance in, in life and, and work is, is really important because you can just never put the computer screen down or the pen down. So that's definitely one. I think listening more, uh, especially when you're remote and you're going through videos and audios it's a lot easier to talk over people it just constantly happens and stepping back and and the concept in in light of everything going on in the world today too and particularly in the united states of, of diversity and inclusion making sure you're thinking through different cultures that may be hierarchical in nature or deferential how do you make sure they have a voice over a video screen and how do you bring those people in so that they feel fully part of the team and the solutions that you're generating So some of the things I've thought about doing is we've rotated team meetings. So a different person leads a meeting, having different presentations on topics and kind of regular meetings. So you've got the full team contributing and the full team participating in the process.
1: So in terms of the employee base and hotline and reporting, have you had to make any adjustments uh, to that area of your compliance program because of the work from home issues?
0: I think the the first quarter when COVID really hit, there was a drop in reports. I think that's pretty consistent for, for many folks uh, starting to see a return to normalcy in terms of the use of the hotline. And in our case, we didn't have a lot of people on sites. So it was, how do you figure to, you know, how do you get to people communicate to them remotely when there's a lot of other communications that may be ahead of yours and important. So safety, survival, health, all those types of things were paramount. And, what we try to do was slip in messaging where we could piggyback off of the message of the CEO or someone else in the organization. And then leveraging, we're fortunate enough to have a site compliance managers and integrity advocates in the field, using them as touch points to make sure that they're communicating. In some cases, it was literally taping posters up on windows where people would walk into to doors if and when a facility was open. And And just trying to figure out using Yammer as another way to bring forward messaging and and events that are occurring and reminding people that um, we we are open for business and we want to hear from them. So it's really creating that welcoming environment where, hey, we are open for business and we still are still doing the things we need to do.
1: Scott, unfortunately, we are ne- near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us next week for our final episode in this four-part series where we took a take a look at my favorite area, the veiled land of the future. I look forward to finalizing our podcast series and continuing the conversation, Scott. Thanks again, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. I hope you'll join me again next week where I take up another episode with Scott Sullivan in The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.